This is Illegal Tender Season 9. I'm Jana Heron. In our last episode, we met Axton. She and her parents had their identities stolen when Axton was just a kid. But the trouble lasted well into her adult life. In today's episode, Axton does something most victims of identity theft never get to do. She finds her perpetrator. And during this time when you were going through school and dedicating your your life to it, both professionally and personally, and you're trying to clean up your credit, were your parents aware of those struggles and what were they thinking during this time? Oh, absolutely. Oh, they were totally aware of the struggles. In fact, my mom ended up co-signing for my car loan, but they needed it based on income because the job I had in Illinois when I was 23, I didn't make much money and they needed a co-signer for income purposes. So Mm -hmm. my mom drove over from Indiana, six hour drive to be a co-signer. And mom followed me home, you know, with me driving my new car. They, they, they knew, they knew. And yeah, I think dad was frustrated with the situation and with the process. But again, it felt like there was no one to help us. You just have to live with it. You, 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 know, you just have to find ways around it. You know, this is, it's kind of, it's almost like, well, this is our lot in life. Right. And during this time, were there new accounts that were popping up that you had to deal with or, or your parents as well, or had it just um, stopped and you had all of these old accounts? My parents, it kept continuing for me. It didn't, but that, and so that made me think, well, the person doing this just doesn't know where I am now mm. because I had moved out of state. And so it, it must be someone who maybe used to be really close to mom and dad and maybe isn't so much anymore. Maybe that's because we, you know, we protected ourselves from, by withdrawing from people and they just lost track of me. And so they you know, they don't know what, what address to use, you know, on applications. So the identity theft for me stopped. And I was, I was always so worried that it would restart again. Mm-hmm. You know, if I cleared my credit, the person responsible for this has my name, my social security number, my date of birth. You know, I could go to all this work to clear my credit and, and they could just reuse it again. So that, that, that was a fear that stayed with me, well, really for years. Yeah, I can imagine. So you said, you know, you did these studies, you wanted to learn about identity theft, and also it was somewhat of a personal journey as well, and that ultimately you hoped you could find out who was behind your identity theft. And we we, we talked, I talked to a someone who runs the Identity Theft Resource Center for, so it's for victims of identity theft, and she was saying how usually people don't find out who stole their identity. Was that the case for you? No. And I, I really thought that after 20 years, you know, you know, when that, when that number rolled by, I thought this is, I'm never going to solve this. You know, (laughs) it's just, it's never, it's never going to happen. In fact, I was, I was at a conference in February of 2013 presenting my, dissertation research. I was out in Washington, D.C. 
And this conference had a lot of law enforcement folks, a lot of folks from the Department of Justice, the Identity Theft Assistance Center, FBI. I mean, just lots of folks from different arenas that I thought could be helpful. And so mm-hmm. I, I asked folks, like, I remember asking an FBI agent who was there, is my case solvable? Will you look into this? And they said that my case was just too old to be solved. Oh. And that that was on February. I remember, I remember this very clearly. I have, I have a weird thing with remembering dates. That was on February 4th of 2013. Mm-hmm. By February 25th, it had been solved. Oh. Yep. I solved it in the 20th year. And how, how are you able to do that? <laughs> so really strange turn of events. So at, so at this point, you know, on February 4th of, of 2013, uh, my mom had been battling a very rare form of leukemia for about six months. And she was losing that battle, but we didn't quite know it then. And she passed away on February 12th. And on February 25th, dad called me and it was, I remember it was late in the evening and there's an outbuilding on their property that mom had kept a bunch of stuff. It was basically an old chicken coop that had served a lot of different purposes and it kind of become a storage area. And there was a file box of moms that dad was going through. And he called me and said, what were you doing running a credit card over limit in 2001? And I went, dad, I didn't. What are you talking about? And he said, don't you lie to me. I have the credit card statement right here in my hand. And I said, what credit card statement? And he told me the, the name of the credit card credit card issuer. And I said, dad, that was one of the credit cards that was taken out. My name as part of the identity theft. What's mom doing with that? Oh my gosh. And he said, I don't know, but it's in here in a file folder with your birth certificate. And my blood turned to ice because I, 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 my gut knew right then that the perpetrator had been identified and that mom's identity had never been stolen. I, I just, I knew, I, I knew I said that to dad. He didn't want to believe it at first. And another dimension of the, the birth certificate thing is that I had my original birth certificate. You know, the birth certificate that was, that, you know, was, was issued shortly after I was born that you know, was handwritten I'm old enough that they were handwritten. And when I was able to see the one that was in that file folder, it was issued by the county health department on June 7th of 2000. I didn't live there on June 7th of 2000. I was in college on the other side of the state. Wow. And so as dad continued to go through documents in that outbuilding and in the house and in mom's garage, it became very clear that mom's identity was never stolen but rather she stole dad's identity first, then mine, and then moved on to my grandfather's who lived with us for a number of years. And so not, but not her dad, it'd be my dad's dad. So it was her father-in-law. 
why? So that, yeah, that's a really good question. And if she were alive, she would probably lie to me. And in fact, we probably still wouldn't know who was responsible for the identity theft. I, I suspect in looking at all of the documents and even photographs of things. In June of 2012, I received a national award for my child identity theft research and outreach. And mom and dad came to the award ceremony and mom standing there with the biggest smile on her face. You know, and I don't think she felt guilt. I think she had some anti, I, I don't know, because I'm not a clinician, I can't diagnose her with a psychological disorder, but she definitely had some very strong antisocial personality traits, like lack of empathy and lack of guilt and knowing the difference cognitively between right and wrong, but mm -hmm. still choosing to do the wrong thing. I mean, so I, I do think... I, I do think it was psychological. How did that make you feel? How does it make you feel now? At the time, I was really enraged because you know, so I remember saying to dad, mom is the reason we have lived the way we've lived for the last 20 years. And in trying to put our lives back together because another thing that mom did was that she didn't pay the taxes. Oh. She spent most of her career as a tax preparer. And we found that the, we found certified letters from the IRS in a UPS store mailbox that she had. And mom had not paid taxes for several years and the IRS was ready to take the farm. And this was right after mom had died. Oh so dad was ready to lose the house. I mean, you know, uh, you know, I, I everything that could go wrong did. It was like our lives blew up, and so to put our lives back together, I, I, one of the things I did was I, I started asking questions. I started reading my childhood diaries and trying to remember these different people that mom had been friends with and people that you know we spent time with when I was little, extended family members that mom had had vilified in my mind. I started reaching out to these people and asking some really hard questions. And one of the things that mom had done was she had spread lies about dad and about me. One of the lies that she spread about me, and I don't know how far she spread it, but I, I, I do know she had said it to at least a small number of people, was that I married my ancient history professor. Well, that's really hard to do when you never took ancient history. <laughs> she lied to many, many, many people about my dad being physically abusive to her and that they were separated and divorced and then reconciled and then separated and divorced again. So what mom was doing was that she was creating stories about us with these people to keep them away from us while telling me and dad that they might be the identity thief and that, you know, they're terrible for, you know, this reason or that reason and we have to stay away from them. 
so through having these conversations, and in fact, I even went to her 40th class reunion after she died to talk to her classmates. Um, and, and I even tracked one down in Florida I really wanted to talk to based on some things that mom had written about him on Facebook. And I, because I thought that she might've had a relationship with, with him because she, she's had at least one affair that I can confirm. It helped me have a more holistic picture of mom. And it also helped rebuild some relationships that were lost 20 years prior that never should have been. Wow. And what about, what about your father? How did he, how does he feel? I mean, that, that, Today, he, well, even, you know, even, you know, sometime before now, I think as a trauma reaction, he's blocked it out. He's, you know, he says he, it's like he feels like he was never married to her, even though they were married for nearly 39 years and together for 46. It, he doesn't feel like he was ever married to her. Because he didn't know her? Yes. Given what he knows now? Right. Does it change how you mourn your mom? Oh, absolutely. I, I get that question all the time. <laughs> and the best way I can explain it is how can you grieve for someone you didn't know? Hmm. And one of her last requests, which dad and I thought was odd at the time, but, you know, again, we didn't know better, is she wanted to be cremated and then come with me. So she didn't want to be, she didn't want to be cremated and buried. She wanted to be cremated and come with me, which at that time I was living in Illinois. So I still have mom here. I have her urn here. It's sitting on a shelf wow. next to a placard that says success is the best revenge. And next to my book, <laughs> because, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a sense of, you know, you tried to destroy me. For your own gain. And you nearly destroyed dad. You know, you know, he nearly, nearly lost the farm. But you didn't do it. And in fact, we're better off now than what we've ever been. So there, there's, there's this odd sense of achievement. It's like tr triumphing over tragedy. Right. So when you think of her now, how do you see her? So I think one of my psychological defense mechanisms was to rely on my research background and look at mom as something to be understood. So something to be, you know, like, you know, it's like peeling an onion. You know, you look at each layer and try and understand who mom was and what motivated her and what were her behaviors. And I kind of felt like a crime scene technician in, in doing this, but I, I had to back the emotion out of it in order to understand it and in order to process it. And so to me, mom is someone who needed to be understood, you know, needed to be analyzed in order to help other people who are likely in similar situations. Hmm. What would you say to her if you were given the opportunity to talk to her? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. I, I you know, I've, I've, 
often thought I would ask her why, but I think she would lie to me. So I, you know, I would say, you know, you, you tried, you, you, you tried to hurt me. You tried to hurt dad. You know, you tried to financially destroy us. You brought us to the brink of financial destruction. You weren't successful. And look at us now because my dad has a new job. You know, he's doing great at, he has a Harley Davidson motorcycle now that he kind of lucked in into it. And that's something that he always wanted that mom promised she would buy him. And now we know that that was a false promise. So, you know, he's got that, you know, he's, he's met uh, new folks, you know, through the bike interest. So he's got, he's got some new folks he's running around with. I have a new job. I've written a book about this experience. I'm doing well here at South Dakota state. So, you know, that's what I would tell her that, you you tried to hurt us, you weren't successful, and we're doing better now than we ever were before. And your relationship with your dad, how has that changed? We're closer now because growing up, one of the things that mom did was she would manipulate me and dad against each other. So she would tell dad things that I said that I didn't say. And then she would tell me things that he said that he didn't say. And now we know that we didn't know that at the time. We didn't really talk about this until after mom had died and we started finding all of these things out. Hmm. So one of the things that was interesting about your story was how when you finally discovered your identity theft and saw your credit report, the identity theft ended up stopping when you were an adult as you were trying to clean it up. Didn't stop for your dad. Now that you know that it was your mom who was behind this, why do you think she stopped? I think she probably became concerned that I would catch on to her because I was focusing my academic studies on identity theft and being in on the other side of the state and then moving on to Illinois and then moving on to Iowa for my doctoral program. I was harder to control the farther away that I became. And I really think that she, she thought that there was a possibility that I would have caught on to the fact that it was her. And see, I wouldn't, you know, going through my studies, I would tell her things that I was learning because she seemed interested in it. And so I think she was using things that I was telling her to do everything she could to stay ahead of me. Hmm. Oh. Because I was inadvertently given the thief my playbook of, of how I was approaching our situation. Right, right. That's really interesting just to think about that. So, you know, we, when we talked to Eva from the Identity Theft Resource Center, you know, she talked about how there's a lot of money in identity theft. You know, that's why you see this happening overseas by, you know, foreign hackers and da, da, da. And so the question is, like, did your mom spend money that wasn't hers? And if so, like, what did she spend it on? Can you look back and go, oh, that's where it went? So that is an interesting question. And that's one way she was able to hide the identity theft from me and dad is that 
we never saw what she spent it on. And the credit card statements that I could find um, that were in her name and in my name and in dad's name that were still around because mm-hmm. a lot of things she burned or, you know, otherwise got rid of, but she became sloppy with it because she'd gotten away with it for so long. I think everything, every transaction was a cash advance. So there's no record of purchases. Hmm. I don't know what she spent it on. When she passed away in 2013, she drove a 1999 Lincoln town car with a salvage title. I mean, she, she, you know, she, so she went down a fancy car. She had all costume jewelry, so she wasn't spending it on jewelry. There's no evidence that she had a gambling addiction because I've been through her computer. I you know, went through her car looking for receipts from the casino in a nearby town from what I can tell from her checking account, she was buying hotel rooms with it. Hotel rooms. Because she was having an, at least one affair. Wow. That's an <laughs> awful lot of hotel rooms over to, you know, to, to make the amount of money that, that she had spent disappear. And well, the interesting thing is that a substantial portion of the money that it is just gone or we know was misappropriated that happened in the last two and a half years of her life. And she has nothing to show for it that we know of. Wow. So was your dad able to clear up his credit after this happened? After you found this out, like, is it any easier to clean up the credit because you're like, Oh, we know who did it. So there was, yeah, so there were still some challenges, particularly with the IRS. We had to get a tax attorney because um, there are some complications um, when you are married filing jointly because Mm -hmm. it's the IRS assumes that both spouses know what's going on with the taxes. So there was an assumption there that they knew or that dad knew that the taxes weren't being paid when he didn't. So, you know, that, that, that was, a a major challenge. A lot of things have fallen off um, because it has been seven years. You know, there were tax liens on the vehicles because mom didn't pay the state income taxes. So those those were on his credit report. They've just recently fallen off. So a lot of things a lot of things have aged off. But one of the things with my dad is that because of this experience, he just does not want to use credit. You know, and and a lot of identity theft victims uh, feel this way. They just don't trust financial institutions. Right. You know, and, and, and you know, where that comes from essentially is, well, if you let someone take a credit card out in my name or open a bank account in my name before, why should I trust you with my information now? You know, no, I'll take care of it myself. You know, I'll bury mm-hmm. you know, I'll bury it in the backyard. You know, that 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 kind of mentality. Did it affect you that way? No, I would say I'm selective with the financial institutions that I do business with. That you know, I, I do watch, and this it's easy to do with the profession I've chosen, and you know, the field I work in. I, I watch to see what financial institutions 
are and are not behaving ethically. <laughs> and yeah. the ones who are not doing business ethically, I just choose not to do business with them. Right. If your mom was still alive, would you want to prosecute her? Absolutely. And I say that because with all of the embarrassment that I had to go through with getting a car, with having to pay utility uh, or security deposits on utilities, with you know just different things that have come up along the way. And the way people look at you when you have bad debt and you say it's not yours. And there's an, you know, when you're an identity theft victim, there's an assumption by financial institutions and, you know, by creditors, by collection agencies that it, you're guilty until proven innocent and that it's your debt until you can prove that it's not. And the amount of humiliation that I had to go through and the amount of lost opportunities that I've had and the, and the, amount of money that I've had to pay that I shouldn't have had to pay for, you know, for my, you know, example, my car loan. Yeah. Someone needed to be held accountable for that. Unfortunately, it won't happen in this lifetime. So when you talk about your mom, you've said some things like, you know, that, that she was out to harm you, destroy you and use that kind of language. Why do you think that was her motive to hurt you and to hurt your father. So one is so one of the things that helped me discover the depth of things that mom had done was her Facebook account. So I was able to get into her Facebook account and see the private messages that she was sending to people that she went to high school with. And one of the things that she talked about was that the day dad went back to work after I was born and he left her at home with me as an infant was the worst day of her life. Oh, wow. Uh, and just based on some of the things that dad remembers from right after I was born, I, he was afraid at times to go to work because he thought what she had was postpartum depression, but she was just so angry that he was concerned at times that she would hurt me. I don't think she liked the life that she had chosen. And I think there, this was her way of trying to maybe use the people around her as to get some sort of redress for that and that while you know you know you're you're not the you know you're not the child that you know that I envisioned in my mind or you know this marriage isn't the marriage that I thought it would be but I'm you know I'm going to take advantage of what I can to buy whatever and make myself happy you know but she didn't make enough money to do that on her own. And dad's salary apparently wasn't enough to fulfill whatever desire she had to buy things. So, you know, she resorted to identity theft. And you said that, you know, you know that she spent some money on hotels, but if you had to guess what else she may have spent it on, do you have any ideas? So there are some indications based on some comments that she made and personal messages on Facebook that she owned property in Ohio 
And she graduated from high school in Ohio. So she spent her senior year at a, at a town um, in Ohio called Russell's Point. And it's, it's on a lake called Indian Lake. And back at that time, it was a resort community. And she talked about owning a condo. She talked about owning a truck. And on her computer, I found pictures of a condo. And through poking around on Google, I was able to identify the condo complex in Russell's Point where those pictures were taken. But they're not stock photos. They're taken at night in the winter time. And I've dug into it and I hit it dead end because in the online property records for Logan County, Ohio, which is where Russell's Point is, I have searched for her name. I've searched for dad's name. I've searched for my name. There are no property. And I've even used mom's maiden name because she did go by that quite frequently. I cannot find any property records in her name. But there's some connection there. Like there, there's some thread of, I think, of truth in Russell's Point and a condo. And, but I, I, I don't know if she owned it, co-owned it, just happened to stay there one night as, you know, like a VRBO rental. I don't know. But she was definitely there at least once have you ever knocked on the door no and i i can't tell exactly which condo it is from the pictures because the pictures were all taken indoors how i was able to figure it out is that there's in one of the pictures you can see out a back window of the condo and you can see the clubhouse and so and you can see um, the outside of, of the other condos. So that's how I was able to narrow it down to at least the co- the, the condo complex. But I don't know the specific a- address of the condo. And then you also said that you, you definitely have confirmed that she had an, an affair. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know who that person is that she had an affair with? Yes, and he has no connection to Ohio. Have you you've talked to him? So I I attempted to, but I actually ended up talking to mom's friend and at the time very close friend about this and who believed that my parents were divorced. And you know I got her side of the story and I said, you know, is it possible that mom made this whole affair up and that she went over and bought the hotel rooms? to prop up her story, but she didn't really do anything with this guy. I said, I think anything's possible. And so they all at the time ate at this diner um, a few miles down the road from where my dad lives. And um, one day she followed this man out into the parking lot and just point blank asked him, did you you have an affair with Pam? And he said, well, yeah, but you know, basically, so what? She was divorced. So that was one thing that mom was doing. Mom was telling many, 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 many people that she was divorced from my dad. So I have no 
feelings of ill will towards this guy because he believed, like much of the small town near where my parents lived, that mom was a divorced woman. Wow. Did she travel often? I mean, was she gone? Could she have had another life going on? <laughs> it's just... Uh, yeah, so, so that's a good question. So I thought, no, because, you know, particularly when I was growing up, no, because she was home every night. And when I was in high school, she was a stockbroker. And she said part of her job to um, get more business was to go knocking door to door. Well, according to my mom's friend that I was also talking with about this man that, you know, you know, that mom was saying she had an affair with. Her friend doesn't believe that she ever did go door knocking because her friend started asking around after mom died, like, hey, do you, do you remember Pam walking around town knocking, knocking on doors? And this is a town of 1,200 people. And nobody can remember her doing that. So in theory, she could have gone over to Ohio during the day because I, I grew up 10 miles west of the Ohio border. So, you know, it's not impossible to drive a couple hours into Ohio, spend the day, do whatever, and make sure that you're home in time so your husband and your child don't suspect anything. Right. Have you pulled her credit report? I have, yep. And that hasn't led to any new information? Nope. Do you continue to look into, like, this, like, trying to peel the layers of the onion to see what you can find? I do. I often run into dead ends. And I feel like, given how mom was and given how she was such, you know, an incredible liar, you know, and and, and in terms of being convincing, I mean, you know, mom lied to a lot of really intelligent people who believed it. You know, because mom was so believable about, you know, about saying things that she was divorced and that I married my ancient history professor and, and the like. That's my turn of thought. Okay, I'll we'll have to go back. Say, say, the, say the question again. Uh, my question was, it, do you continue to this day, like, look into oh. this and try to peel back the onion to figure out, oh, find yeah. out more stuff? Yep. Oh, yeah. So, you know, given that my mom was such a magnificent liar um, and that... She convinced a lot of really intelligent local people that she was divorced and that, you know, things like I had married my ancient history professor and that my dad was abusive that weren't true. I believe there are people out there who know things who don't know what they know because that what they knew about my mom that that's normal to them. You know, maybe they knew her as Pam Elliott because that was the name that she frequently went by and that, you know, she was divorced and that, you know, maybe she frequents Russell's point. You know, maybe she frequented, you know, a little diner over there. I think there are people who, who, who know things, but don't realize what they know. And that came up when I went to her 40th class reunion. 
because she had told people that she went to high school with that she didn't have children. And so here I am showing up saying I'm her child. Wow. And of course I didn't use, I didn't use her married name. <laughs> you know, I, in the car, the two hours over to Russell's point, I remember rehearsing. Hi, I'm Pam Elliott's daughter. I, you know, I had to get myself in, in, in that mode I, because I was going into a different world that mom had, you know, created, manipulated, you know, however you want to look at it. And I met people there who were very adamant that mom didn't have children. And I think on some subconscious level, I, I saw it coming because I took pictures with me of mom when she was in high school. So mm -hmm. I could show like, hey, look, I wouldn't have these if I wasn't her daughter. And so that helped convince people that, you know, I, I was her daughter, but I'm sitting there telling, listening to people going, no, she didn't have children. Oh my God. Like, no, you don't exist. Wow. So I'm thinking about your life and the first half of your life was consumed by this stranger taking your parents' identity then taking your identity. And now you're in this other part of your life where you know who did it. And that, but there's so many more questions than answers, it seems like. Yes. And unfortunately, many of the people who could answer the questions are deceased. So both my grandparents, so my mom's parents, I never knew my grandmother. She passed away before I was born. But some of the things that I have learned about her through conversations I've had with people who remember her or people who have read my book and, and you know, reached out to me and said, you know, I remember your mom and your grandma and your, your great grandma. And, you know, I, you know, hear different stories. Mom was a lot like grandma for, for, from what I've been told. My grandma had a problem with excess spending. She did have at least one affair while she was married to my grandfather. And I understand that my grandfather was her fourth husband. She was married four times by the age of 29. Wow. Yeah. Um, like my mom used to say, well, at least she married all of them. And my grandfather died when I was 11. And then my mom had two much older half-brothers. So my grandma had two boys with her first husband. And then, so she had those kids very young and then had my mom very late in life. So there's a 16-year a age difference between her mom and her oldest brother. And her oldest brother's still living, but her younger, or the second child, the younger brother passed away as well. So there, there really isn't anyone on that side of the family that, that I can talk to. And, you know, even my, my uncle, who was so much older than mom, there were a lot of things that he probably didn't see because he was in the military when mom was a toddler. You know, he was out of the house. So there are things and he, that he doesn't know. And then in addition to that, my grandma, when she got a divorce from her first husband, 
for some reason left the boys in an orphanage. And then this, the story I heard is that she left for California with this other guy that she ended up marrying. So the boys didn't even meet their mother until after she was married to my grandfather. Wow. So they don't, you know, they didn't really have a lot of experience with her. So, you know, in terms of like, you you know, can, can you talk to any relatives? Not on that side of the family. Now, when, on my dad's side of the family, when you, when you talk to those relatives, they have plenty to say about my mom and they, <laughs> they did not like her. So, but you know, that's, that's, that's not that, you know, inside the home, inside, you know, inside the family dynamic experience, which unfortunately all of those folks have passed away. What would be the resolution that you'd want? What would be? I, I would like to know what happened to all that money. Because it's $600,000 roughly that has been misappropriated or just it's just vanished in the thin air. We, we can't figure out where it went. And, you know, not so much any more to get it back. And of course it would help my dad, you know, because he's not going to have the retirement that he had hoped to achieve because of this. But uh, what a person spends their money on reflects their values. And knowing what mom spent that money on would give insight into her thoughts and her values to give a more holistic picture of who she was and what she was thinking when she was engaging in these behaviors. Yeah. That's interesting how you tie what you spend your money on to values. Mm -hmm. In your life experience and what you learn from your family, what do you think it has shown you and taught you about the kind of legacy that you want to leave? Yeah. When I, when I am gone from this earth, I hope that people remember me as someone who was honest and who was genuine. And I try really hard every day to strive to achieve that. I think I do a pretty good job based on some of the feedback that I get. Some people appreciate my genuineness and honesty and correctness more than others. Uh, but I, I, I hope that's how people remember me as someone who was honest and genuine. And what about on the identity theft front? I mean, you've done so much work on that. What, what do you hope that does? I hope it helps other victims and I hope my research as it continues to grow serves as a catalyst for change for victims. I hope it leads to the development of additional victim services. I hope it leads to policy changes. I hope more resources are devoted to law enforcement to help them pursue identity theft cases because law, many law enforcement agencies are just overwhelmed by the number of identity theft cases that they're presented with. They just don't have the resources to investigate them thoroughly. Um, yeah, I just, I, all in all, I hope that my research and, and much of my research is published in open access journals. So anybody 
can have access to it. They don't have to be at a university. And I hope victims will see my research, particularly my qualitative research, uh, where I interviewed participants and have woven their quotes and their experiences into the research and see that they're not alone in their experience. And that's one of the things that I've seen from the publication of my, my book, my, you know, my personal experience with identity theft is that victims reach out to me and say, I didn't know anyone else experienced this. I thought I was the only one. I hope the work that I do helps victims feel that they're not alone and that if they just keep at it, just, you know, just keep fighting the good fight, as they say, that you can overcome the identity theft and that you can have the life, you know, that you want and that you you can achieve financial security. Last question. <laughs> Looking back, is there anything that we didn't cover or we didn't talk about that you think is really important? Do we want to mention the book title at all? Because I've read the book, but I haven't said the title. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So the title of my book is The Less People Know About Us, and it is available at all major book retailers. And it goes through your entire story? It does. And it, it actually even goes back before 1993 when my identity was stolen and gets into some of the family history. So a lot of different family dynamics going on, takes a dive into potential mental illness and just my experience and my challenges with, with restoring my identity and also how it shaped my career and, you know, where, where my career was going. And it also goes into my dad's experience with this and some of the things in his upbringing that may have helped enable this, you know, enable him not to see what was going on. So yeah, it, it takes into account a lot of different factors. Um, it also talks about him uh, getting the bike and how much that has uh, been a great coping mechanism. I get the question all the time, well, how does your dad cope with this? And sometimes they'll say, well, he became a biker. <laughs> that usually gets people to laugh. So it, it you know, it's, it's a book that, you know, it, you know, it, the focus is on my experience with identity theft, but I think there are a lot of things in it that even if you haven't been a victim of identity theft, you know, by a family member, there are still things that I think are relatable with regard to mental illness and family dynamics and just different changes that people go through throughout the lifespan. I, I do think it's relatable beyond the identity theft experience. Well, your story is certainly fascinating, if not, you know, as a, and, and appalling, you can't even right. think fathom. And it really makes everybody wonder just who was your mom? Right. In our next episode, you'll hear from Eva Veliquez. She is an expert in identity theft, and we will learn more about the ways our identity can be stolen and how we can protect ourselves from it. Illegal Tender is made by Yahoo Finance from our homes in New York City. 
This season was written and hosted by me, Jana Heron. Illegal Tender was created, edited, and produced by Alex Sugg. Thank you to Axton Betts Hamilton for sharing your story. And thank you to the Identity Theft Resource Center for connecting us. If you enjoyed this podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. Until next time, thank you for listening to Illegal Tender.